This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 114. Glad to have you back in the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you that if you like this podcast, please share it around on social media. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for Brian McClanahan. Also on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube page. Just go ahead and look for Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to search for all those things, you can go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll see all the little social media icons. Just click on those. And, of course, it will take you to my social media pages. And while you're there, give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook, Forgotten Founders, read by yours truly. Also, if you do like this podcast, please review it on iTunes. The more reviews, the better. It'll also help get more interest in the show. And if you do want to support the show, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. And you can throw a few pennies my way. Anything will help keep the lights on, help keep the podcasts going, and help bringing help keep me bringing you content. So uh, uh, think about that. If you want to be that generous, I would appreciate it. Okay, uh, a few things I want to talk about today. And uh, actually, this is going to bridge on a podcast I just did a couple of uh, episodes ago about uh, how the 1990s transformed America. And then also a podcast, episode number 34, that I did uh, last July, which was entitled Know Your Enemy. And it has to do with the current uh, climate, current political climate, dealing with the NFL, and of course now uh, spreading out to other other sports, uh, professional sports as well, Major League Baseball, uh, the NBA has gotten involved in some of this, and it has to do with players taking a knee during the National Anthem. So I wanted to talk about this within historical context, also look at it in a couple of different ways, some things that I think need to be addressed. There are several different aspects of this issue that are being missed by uh, the um, by the general population. And of course, there is outrage. On one side, you have people very upset that these, uh, I think it's 23% of NFL players and the last uh, and uh, last Sunday, uh, we're taking a knee, and uh, that's upset a lot of people who pay ticket to pay for tickets and and pay to watch these football games. On the other hand, you have a lot of people that are uh, pushing uh, for more people to go out and uh, take a knee uh, or not show up for the national anthem. And so we've got this big debate, and of course, it all comes down to what Donald Trump said in Alabama about a week ago when he said that the NFL should fire. Uh, one of the players involved in this uh, in these protests. Uh, so this thing is spiraled. I mean, when I talked about this last year, actually, that was the Know Your Enemy podcast in July of last year. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about uh, the anthem and taking the knee and Colin Kaepernick. And I wrote a piece for Chronicles Magazine on this particular issue and about the national anthem. And so I want to talk about several of those things and um, dive into some of these issues. First and foremost, uh, one of the things I think that's going on here, and other people have talked about this, is the politicization of uh, professional athletics. And where did this all begin? Um, I think if you look back at professional athletics and its role in American society, you do find, of course, when you look at the role of integration. You know, you had Major League Baseball uh, becoming integrated with Jackie Robinson, and that has always been, to many people, kind of a seminal event uh, 
in uh, race relations in American history. And uh, but as Howard Zinn actually pointed out uh, in his book Lies My Teacher Told Me, which is an awful book, but he does get uh, at least one thing right. He does talk about how athletics were not segregated at first, and it was only later on that athletics became segregated as we got into the progressive era. So thank the progressives for, for all of that. Uh, but um, this was a seminal moment, moment, and people looked at it and saying, okay, you know, it's post-World War II, uh, we have uh, just fought the Nazis, and so now we're going to come back to America, and we still have this climate that people thought was uh, was reminiscent of uh, Nazi-controlled Germany. Uh, so we're going to try to end that here. Now, I, I think it was an important important part of American society, but at the same time, uh, if this if that event had happened in the 1980s or 90s, it would have been much bigger because of all the media coverage. And that's essentially what's going on now. You have a tremendous amount of media coverage. And, of course, that's driving the narrative. It's driving people to go out and do some of these things on a professional football field or professional uh, baseball field uh, or a basketball court. The the attention that these athletes get nowadays, uh, professional athletes, uh, is tremendous, much more than what they had in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, even 70s, into the 80s. I remember back... Uh, in the late 80s, when Kirby Puckett uh, got a contract for $9 million to play baseball for the Twins. It was $3 million a year. And people looked at that as absolute insanity. How can, uh, how can a team pay a baseball player $9 million to play baseball? And, of course, that's seen as a minimum amount of money now. I mean, the guy making $3 million a year in Major League Baseball is making pennies in a lot of ways. That's a cheap contract. Uh, for a Major League Baseball player. So uh, we've seen, of course, the, the escalation of professional salaries for basketball, baseball, football, all of these players. Uh, your minimum salary for a professional baseball is near $400,000 a year. I think it's almost $800,000 a year for a football player. Uh, I don't know what it is for a, for a basketball player. But uh, all of these sports, uh, particularly when it comes to football and basketball, are predominantly African-American. So you have a large number of black athletes, black millionaires, who are making money on these professional athletics. And, of course, uh, the, the large majority of the vast majority of the people who watch these athletics, these, these, uh, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, are white Americans. And so uh, it's interesting the, the racial dynamics there and how that works out. But... Uh, one of the things that happened in the 90s, uh, again, if, if, this, if Jackie Robinson had been integrated, say, you know, in the 18, 1980s or 1990s, would have been a much bigger issue because of the amount of media coverage. And that goes back to how the 1990s transformed America. Uh, I remember, you know, in the 80s, uh, watching baseball, and you had some regional sports networks, but uh, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't really as big as it is now. Um, you know, even uh, when I remember you know, watching uh, Baltimore Oriole baseball games with like 5,000 people in the stands. I mean, people just didn't go to the games. Uh, there wasn't, you, you, could, you could see, uh, you look at your stands in your first Super Bowl, it, it, there was hardly anybody there. Uh, back in the 60s. And so when you look at the transformation of athletics over time, or at least the proliferation of athletics, professional athletics over time, you'll see that uh, it's taken some time for this type of stuff to develop. But by the 1990s, uh, you started seeing 
you know, much more interest in uh, professional football on television, much more interest in professional baseball. One of the things, of course, I just mentioned the Baltimore Orioles, they built a new ballpark in 1992, and that began the ballpark renaissance in Major League Baseball, and that generated a lot of interest in Major League Baseball. Then you started seeing stadiums be full. I think the Indians, Cleveland Indians, sold out for, I mean, I can't remember how many games it was, hundreds and hundreds of games they sold out uh, because of their new ballpark, Jacobs Field. I can't remember what the, what they call it now, but it was Jacobs Field for a long time. Uh, and so you saw that. Plus, you had new ballparks just about anywhere, and they all looked old. So it was kind of this, this throwback. It was a ballpark renaissance, but the idea was to bring back the tradition of baseball because baseball, that old tradition, felt good. And so you started seeing some of that. And then you had, of course, the rise of ESPN, the Entertainment and Sports Network. Uh, and you started seeing the rise of the Sports Center uh, generation, which I, I'm, I'm part of. You know, you go into, I remember being in college, all the guys had Sports Center on all the time. 24 hours a day, we'd be watching some type of sports ticker. We weren't watching, uh, you know, headline news. Uh, we weren't watching uh, CNN all the time, but we were watching ESPN. And, of course, that made some of the sports anchors, people like Keith Oberman and Dan Patrick, household names, uh, Stuart Scott. Uh, and so uh, someone like Olbermann used that as a springboard into a political pundit career, which hasn't really worked out for him too well. I've done a podcast on that too. Keith Olbermann is an idiot. But uh, I, I think that uh, what you saw in that case was all of these young people in their 20s, teens, uh, you know, into their 30s. I remember, you know, I had, I had a professor uh, uh, friends who were uh, in their late 30s, early 40s, who were watching SportsCenter all the time. So it was, it was an entire generation of people glued to the television. This is, we had the internet, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. You're still on dial-up. It was hard, you know, all these things. So we watched a lot of TV. Uh, we watched a lot of sports television. And so athletes, who had never really had the voice that they had before that. Now they're on SportsCenter every night. They're doing interviews. Uh, they're making their voice heard in a lot of different ways. And so that allowed them then to make things much more political. Now, it doesn't mean athletes didn't get political before. You know, Jim Brown... Uh, back in the uh, 1960s, was fairly political uh, when he played for the Cleveland Browns, uh, and so you had you had political athletes before, but they had a they didn't have the same type of megaphone that they had beginning in the 90s, and then moving forward, which is why these athletes today have a much bigger profile because you've got social media, you've got uh, much more television exposure, you've got uh, ESPN and other television networks paying billions of dollars to show these uh, these uh, uh, athletic contests on television and so it gives these people a platform like they've never had before and of course that's going to lead to politics being dragged into all of this so this has nothing to do really with Donald Trump or with what he said the other day it has everything to do with how athletics have become political and how the mass marketing of athletics has made this possible uh, as the NFL's become a billion dollar industry as major league baseball gets more and more money on television contracts uh, as uh, NBA gets the NBA gets more and more money on television contracts and you start seeing people with you know uh, uh, tens of millions of dollars in one year in contracts uh, i mean this is uh, this is a tremendous amount of money flowing through this, and of course, with that becomes you get popularity out of that, and everyone wants to, and and, and you see it, uh, you know, the, the way that uh, athletics have become a science, uh, you know, it's become a full-time job for a lot of younger people, even. I mean, people in high school, in college, I mean, the way they train and do things, it's much different, and all of that came out of the 1990s, and of course, that leads into making athletics part of politics. 
you wouldn't have seen this in the 70s, I don't think, uh, without without question. Uh, you did have, um, of course, the very famous uh, Rick Monday episode where the, the guy ran out on the field and was going to try to burn a flag, and, and he yanked the flag away from him. And, uh, you know, back in the 19, uh, was it? I can't remember the year it was, uh, but uh, it was 19, late 1960s, I believe. Uh, and so, um, you know, you've got that episode, and and uh, so you did have some things at times that, that happened here. And, of course, you know, Hank Aaron chasing Babe Ruth's record and some of the things going on there and some, you know, in Atlanta and how, how some of that was racially charged and people were getting very upset in certain seg- uh, segments because of that. So you, uh, politics and, and, and sports did work together, but a lot of that was just kind of muted. Nowadays, if that is going on, you're seeing a story about it every single night. And so it's right front and center. It's in your face at all times. And you can thank the 1990s for that. So that's one thing that's happening here. Uh, Why I think that uh, athletics have become what they are and how they're so political. The solution to that, of course, uh, it's it's another thing I want to talk about. The solution to this uh, is for people that pay for these things, and this has already been said, just don't watch it anymore. Uh, if you don't agree with it, turn off the television. Don't support the games. And I think that if that happens, and you're starting to see it, uh, you know, the 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 fact is people aren't showing up to football games as much as they used to. Not only that, TV uh, viewership is way down, uh, drastically down. Uh, and so even when you have good games, you had uh, very exciting uh, close games this past weekend, TV viewership was still down. And some of the protests are having a lot to do with it. People are just turning it off and saying we're not going to watch it. Now, college football games, viewership is still in record numbers, still doing great because it's not political. And so when you get athletics becoming political, particularly professional athletics, people don't understand they're going to want to turn it off. They're not going to watch want to watch multimillionaires complaining about some type of uh, social injustice when they look at them and say, I make $40,000 a year and I'm still watching you on TV. Uh, why are you complaining? Uh, you're here because all, I mean, obviously uh, we, we uh, celebrate you and we allow you to do these things. So why would you be uh, protesting and complaining about anything at this point. People just can't understand that. So there is that. Uh, there is a solution to the problem. And I think that, uh, you know, this also gets into what Trump said about, you know, just fire that guy. And of course, I'm not going to use the language Trump used, but fire that guy. If he's going to complain, fire that guy. So here, here is another issue. And it's something I did bring up um, in the Know Your Enemy podcast. And so I'm just going to repeat it here. Uh, this is not a First Amendment issue. Uh, the players who are going out and protesting, whether it's uh, doing a, a, you know, a black power salute or taking a knee or arm in arm, whatever the case may be, whatever, whatever they're doing to protest, this is not a First Amendment issue. Uh, political speech is not protected by the First Amendment. And in fact, the First Amendment only applies to the general government. Now, you can say if you want to be in a corporationist, it applies to the states too. I would reject that interpretation. But even if it did apply to the states, it doesn't apply to corporations and professional football teams and professional basketball teams and professional baseball teams are corporations. You work for the owner of that particular team as a player. And if you're a player and they say to you, you're going to stand during the national anthem, you're not going to kneel or I'm going to fire you, they can do that. Uh, now, of course, the union's going to get involved and say you can't fire him for that and there's all these. Into the... But at the end of the day, I think it'd be hard, it'd be hard for uh, the players to have any leg to stand on when it comes to a corporation dealing with someone who is involved in an issue like this. If the corporation doesn't like what you're saying, 
they can get rid of you. Uh, and so that is, it's a, it's a right of property in essence in this particular way. There's no First Amendment rights being violated here if these NFL players or NBA players or professional baseball players or hockey players or NASCAR drivers take your pick of professional athletics, golf, golf uh, athletes, uh, tennis players, whatever. If any of these people get out and do things, well, these companies have a right or these, these businesses, when you look at a, someone like Tiger Woods, for example, at all the trouble that he had, he was dropped from some of his sponsorships. Why? Because they can do that. They have the right to do it. And uh, there was just a Denver Broncos player who was dropped from his sponsorship by a car dealership because they didn't agree with his stand and what he's doing with the anthem. So all of this stuff, there are repercussions for these things. Uh, and I think that's what people need to understand. If you don't like it, again, don't watch it. And when the money dries up, these people are not going to have the same kind of platform anymore. It just won't happen. Now, we can look at athletics, too, in a way that uh, over time you've had uh, professional athletics be involved in court cases, things like collusion, where they're trying to keep salary down, or uh, the antitrust status of uh, professional athletics. Uh, when you look at football and baseball, how they, they, they have a monopoly on these uh, sports, uh, and, of course, the courts have sided with uh, these sports uh, leagues saying that they can do this. Um, we have had, you know, back in the 80s, you had the USFL, and you had a lot of the great players that go to the USFL, people like Jim Kelly and Herschel Walker. Uh, they played over in the USFL, and then, of course, eventually the USFL bankrupt, and so uh, they all went back into the NFL. But uh, you haven't seen any challenge to Major League Baseball uh, so and, and it has a monopoly on the sport, on professional baseball. So um, it's interesting how how uh, people don't realize when they start saying, well, I've got a First Amendment right to protest. I mean, you can protest all you want, but there can be repercussions from that. Uh, you work for a company. If that company doesn't like your protest or doesn't like your stand on something, they don't have to maintain you as an employee or they don't have to hire you. In the case of Colin Kaepernick, the NFL, there has to be... They're, they're, there don't have to be any uh, reasons why Kaepernick's not being hired. First of all, he was terrible in the last year he was in San Francisco. But not just that, if the NFL says, look, we don't want a guy like that on the field because it's bad for business, they don't have to hire a guy like that. He could be the best player in the country, and they could still say, we don't want this guy on the field because he's bad for business. Now, I would suggest that if Kaepernick really was the best player in the NFL, if he was Tom Brady, he'd have a job. But he's not Tom Brady, so he didn't have a job. Uh, Tom Brady could do just about anything he wanted and say just about anything he wanted, and he would still have a job playing quarterback, probably for the New England Patriots, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, you could say that for a lot of uh, players that have had uh, dubious things go on in their life. Now, Brady's not one of them, but have had dubious things uh, that they've done, uh, but yet they're still very good players, and so uh, they stay on the field. Now, we've seen that you know people like Aaron Hernandez, who uh, was uh, charged with murder and then found guilty of that, uh, that's not going to be the case. Uh, you can't get around that. Uh, but uh, we've seen people of dubious character stay on uh, professional athletic fields because they can play the game, and fans are willing to overlook that to root for the team. Uh, so, you know, Kaepernick was any good, he'd be playing football right now. But again, this is this is not a First Amendment issue. This is an issue of uh, ownership teams saying we can we're going to restrict this kind of activity or not. They can if they want to. They're not because they think they would face too much backlash. But I think, at the end of the day, uh, if they did, they would actually get much more out of it than if they didn't because Americans are generally not liking what's going on right now. They don't see the issue for the majority of Americans. They don't understand why this is even an issue for these people. Uh, they just don't see it. Now, 
As I said in Know Your Enemy, though, um, this is a problem that's actually uh, indicative of a larger disease. And the disease is big government. Um, when it comes down to it, uh, government has fostered these type of problems, whether it's uh, you know people talking about social justice, uh, when you look at police-involved shootings and other things, the militarization of the police. Uh, these are issues that are uh, very much uh, tied into larger and larger government and more and more regulation. Uh, so uh, when you look at that, when you look at what's going on here, you know, the police are out doing their job. They're told to go enforce laws. They're told to enforce laws that lawmakers make, whether they're good laws or not. And so oftentimes people get caught in these things, and that creates very delicate situations for people to try to extract themselves from. But not just that, um, it creates an, an environment uh, in, in many cases which is, uh, it, which is against the, the concept of liberty. And uh, this is something that needs to be openly discussed that there is an issue here of, of uh, you know, government and regulation and how all of those things play into uh, some of the angst and, and anxiety. People think, no, no, it's, it's, the, it's the government needs to solve these things. Government will never solve these things. It'll only make it worse. And I think you can point to the Obama administration without question uh, in making uh, race relations worse in America through some of the uh, statements that Obama made, some of the policies they had. Uh, I think race relations, and I, I, don't, I don't think there's any, any question about it, race relations have deteriorated in the last uh, decade. Uh, and all of that really began uh, when Obama took the oath of office uh, back in, uh, in 2009. Uh, so there, there's no question that uh, what we've seen over time is is the disease, which is big government starting golfing uh, you know, some of these other uh, things in America and, and consuming them, uh, and uh, making the situation worse than it already was. It's actually you know throwing uh, gasoline on the fire. Uh, but let's talk about the national anthem too, because uh, this is something I brought up in the Chronicles piece that I wrote uh, last year. And um, it, it's something that I think that uh, a lot of people don't think about with the national anthem. Now, we didn't start actually uh, having the national anthem play before ball games until really World War I. And even at that point, nobody really noticed. It wasn't as if uh, you know everyone got out there and uh, put their hand over their heart and had these big uh, show of uh, you know huge U.S. flag out there and flyovers and Whitney Houston belting it out and all these things. No, I mean nobody really did that. It was actually kind of a of a, of a uh, vaudeville act in so many ways to play this thing to try to you know well we're at war uh, let's let's try to get people involved here and let's get some patriotic uh, spirit flowing here and the ball players themselves as it was being played didn't even stop their warm ups uh, to pay attention to the national anthem so uh, it, it really it wasn't even the national anthem yet at that point so uh, we we've now come to expect that before everything in America we go to the dentist and get a tooth pulled well we got we got to say the pledge or sing the national anthem before we do it because we have to show our patriotic spirit. Uh, before every political event, every social event, every sporting event, we've got to have the national anthem. And so some people are saying, well, let's just stop playing the national anthem. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, do we really need to go out there and show everybody how, uh, how uh, patriotic we are with, with the national anthem before our Rotary Club meeting? Uh, do we really need to say the Pledge of Allegiance before our Rotary Club meeting or before our, our, our uh, political uh, club meeting or social club meeting? Do we really need to go out there and do that? 
is that even necessary anymore? But this is where we've gotten, and somehow we've we've started confusing the idea of patriotism with nationalism, and we're confusing the idea of why uh, why we would say the anthem or where it's even there for with uh, you know having to be done for for everything, and it's kind of this taking on this martial feel. Uh, you know, it's it's a rah rah jingoism. We got to go to war with everybody. Uh, we got to defend the flag uh, at all costs. And so uh, that's what's happened with with professional athletics and with the anthem before everything. You got to do it for high school football games and college football games, and uh, you know, before a graduation for a college or a high school graduation. Uh, and and this is uh, this is interesting. You know, you go to school every day, and you got to say the the pledge of allegiance before school, and maybe they might even play the anthem. Uh, all of these things work together in producing a climate in America that is is fostering the disease, which again is big government. Because the idea is, by saying the anthem or saying the pledge, is, you know, my country, right or wrong, is still my country. Uh, and that that kind of nationalism is dangerous when, when you think about, um, well, all these issues aren't national issues. This issue of, uh, of social justice... I mean, Colin Kaepernick and some of the other players might actually have, uh, I'll, I'll admit, uh, they have some, some real grievances, I think, at times with some of the things going on in America. But is it, is it a quote-unquote national conversation or is it really a local conversation? Uh, and again, in the Chronicles piece I pointed out, when you start having top-down solutions to these things, uh, if, let's say it's, um, you've got a problem with, uh, with policing and racial profiling in an area. So now you're going to force, from the top down, every police force in the United States to go through a racial profiling training session. Uh, what happens in the police force that's in uh, you know, uh, northern Minnesota that's, that's 100% white, the town is 100% white, uh, and they're going to have some type of racial profiling uh, uh, training? Or what about in a, in a in a community uh, that's uh, you know uh, near 100% black, uh, and the police officers are near 100% black, do they have to go through some type of racial sensitivity training? Uh, but when you have a top-down situation where uh, where this is where the government steps in and says everyone's got to do this, uh, you create a situation where you it's a one-size-fits-all and it doesn't necessarily work. And of course, if they don't do it, then they lose federal funding, and then of course the states and the localities are eating at the trough. So they're going to force every Everybody to do it, whether it's the right thing for that locality, the right thing for that police department, the right thing for that state, or not. Uh, and this is where, again, you get into the disease. The disease is that every state and every locality is eaten at the trough. They're all slopping like pigs at the trough. They want the money, and, and they also want government surplus. They want to have a, a, a government tank, essentially, for their police force. And they want to have all the body armor and all the high-fangled weapons and everything else they can get from the United States government and make their police force more like a military. And, of course, a lot of the guys, and uh, not just guys, but the people in the police department, they love this stuff because it's, it's fun to go out and act like a soldier. Uh, and so uh, they, they think this is great. Uh, now, in some cases, because uh, you know you have situations where the bad guys might be heavily armed or in a situation where they need uh, some type of, uh, of, of firepower, these things are necessary. We saw that back in Los Angeles back uh, in the early 90s when you had the bank robbery there where the guys were carrying around uh, AK-47s and they were, they were just slaughtering the police because the police didn't have the same type of firepower. So you see these situations where you can, you can find justification for it. Yeah, the police need these things. Uh, but again, 
the disease is more regulation, uh, more and more laws, more and more top-down uh, policies, and that's creating a climate environment of a lot of tension in America. I, I think that's where, as I've talked about on another podcast, Americans are angry. Uh, Americans are angry because these one-size-fits-all solutions don't work for their community. So when you look at the issue of what's going on here, one, it is an issue of mass marketing. It's an issue of the modern media. It's the issue of making everything bigger than it really is. You know, professional athletics are good for entertainment, but because people had, had excess income, I remember uh, you know, back in the early 90s, sports memorabilia was all over the place. Baseball cards and signed jerseys and signed pictures and all these things. And now you can't even hardly give that stuff away. Uh, nobody wants it anymore, but people had money to burn, and they were burning it on sports memorabilia because it was all over the place. Uh, you had uh, you had television, you know, sports games becoming more and more popular, more and more popular, and people loved this stuff. And of course, there was some nostalgia with that. Oh, I got a 1950s uh, baseball card, and uh, isn't that awesome? Or I'm getting a rookie card from this particular athlete from the 1970s or 1960s. And so you had people with money going and investing in these things, uh, sports memorabilia, and in some cases. Sports memorabilia still still sells for a lot, but your run-of-the-mill sports memorabilia does not anymore, uh, not as much as it used to. And so, uh, again, some of that was because of the mass marketing of, of professional athletics. And if people would just turn the stuff off, as they stopped having interest in baseball cards, the prices dried up. Uh, stuff went down to next to nothing. Uh, and you would see the same thing with, with, uh, with professional ath- athletes not making as much money if there wasn't the same kind of revenue. If television stations weren't buying uh, football games for a billion dollars or paying all the money for ad revenue on the Super Bowls or ad uh, time on the Super Bowls, uh, th- you wouldn't have that. Uh, uh, you know, the the corresponding the economic economics of it all would force down the uh, the amount of money these athletes could make. So that's one thing. Again, look at the disease, which is overregulation, which is too many laws, the the reduction of liberty, the one size fits all policies, and also look at our situation with the national anthem, the Pledge of Allegiance. Is this thing, the Pledge of Allegiance in particular, which is written by a socialist to try to indoctrinate people, is that thing really necessary? Uh, to be said before every single event that we have in America, or the national anthem uh, being played before everything, is that really necessary? Uh, you know, to, to do that, um, it, does it make us better people to have that and to have somebody come out there and sing this thing, or you know, whatever the case may be? Every single every single event, uh, you've got somebody else coming out to sing the national anthem. Uh, is that even necessary at all? And I think the question, the the answer to that is no. Uh, William Faulkner actually came up with that. Uh, position back in the 1950s in a Sports Illustrated uh, uh, issue, uh, where he said this is just kind of crazy to have this stuff, and uh, you know it, it is, uh, it is. I think Faulkner was onto something there. So uh, I think at the end of the day, of course, also there's no First Amendment right here, and I think so, as long as we can emphasize these points, uh, let the athletes do what they wanted. I mean, there's there's. If they want to do that, just don't watch it. If, if that's if you feel really strongly about that they should not or think really strongly they should not be doing this, then just stop watching the football games. It's that simple. Economics will work all of this out. And, of course, at the end of the day, nobody needs to get involved in saying that we're going to you know, cancel the football, uh, we're going we're to do this or do that, we should, we should uh, fire all these people. If the NFL owners wanted to fire them, they would. 
Uh, again, that's a property issue uh, when it comes to ownership of a team, which is just like owning a business. And you can have employees there or not have employees there. That's that's up to your your discretion. These people are employees of that particular business, and if that business doesn't want them, they won't have them. So a lot of things going on here. I wanted to kind of unpack some of the things looking at uh, this issue. It's a big issue right now, so I wanted to give you my uh, my take on it, and I'll see you next time on The Brian Man. <laughs>